0: Good morning. want to greet each one in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. It's uh, special to have a coworker and her family here this morning with us as one of the visitors. Um, it's also nice to have Jordan back. I don't know if he is enjoying the weather so much, but uh, it's great to have you back. And I may have missed some other visitors, but it's nice to have each one here this morning. Before I get into my message, I did want to just acknowledge... Praise to God for what He has done. I think it is such a neat story with what has taken place in Haiti in the last, uh, what happened a week and a half ago. You know, we prayed here a number of times. Um, I believe the Sunday after it took place, we prayed, had a special time of prayer. And a week and a half ago, on a Wednesday evening, I um, was in a prayer group with a few men, and we prayed for the hostages, not knowing how God would answer our prayers. And yet, it's amazing how he did. That within a few hours, they would be walking away from their captors. And I just find that amazing. For those that may not realize that there was a uh, one of the hostages... Last Sunday morning gave a testimony in his church, um, and it turned into a three-hour service for them there. If anybody would like to has WhatsApp and would like to hear that testimony, see me afterwards, and I can get your name and uh, send it to you. But it's an amazing testimony of what God did for those people and bringing them safely out. This morning, my message, I'm going to be looking at Daniel chapter 9 mostly. For those of you keeping track, you're going to say, Well, why are, you talking, why are you preaching out of Daniel 9 this morning? Shouldn't you be in Daniel 4? And that's true. But I'm going out of order because of what Daniel 9 says. How many of you here, raise a hands, know what Daniel 9 has to do with Christmas time? Someone wanna volunteer. That's all right. We'll we'll dig into it this morning. But let's start with Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. And in the first year of Darius, the son of Azarias of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. What is he he talking about that Daniel understood the books and the numbers? God had prophesied through Jeremiah that he would send the Jews into captivity for their sin. And for their falling away from God, and Jeremiah prophesied that it would be for seventy years, and I believe that's what it's referring. It it is referring back to the seventy years. So I don't know if Daniel had recognized it before, but Daniel was understanding it now that he would probably most likely not see Jerusalem again. He would not see his homeland again. He understood that God had prophesied this, or prophesied it through Jeremiah. And that it was going to, it had happened, and it was going to continue to be fulfilled. And Daniel was a part of this. He had been taken out of his homeland by the Babylonians and was were no longer able to return. So now, picking up at verse three, and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications. With fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets. Which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces. As at this day to the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel that are near, and that are far off. Through all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. And I'm just going to pause there. It wasn't for Daniel's sin, but he recognized that as being a part of the Jewish people, why they had been sent into captivity. <clears throat> that God hadn't just done it uh, for, for no reason, but there had been cause, just cause for them to be sent. And it's fascinating to see that even though I don't believe it was for Daniel's sin, as far as we know he was a boy when he was a teenager, when he was taken out of the land of Israel... And yet we see him here going through quite a bit of just like we have in the story of um, Nineveh. When they repented, they put on sackcloth and ash to show their sorrow and their repentance for sin. And here's Daniel. He's seeking God. He's wanting God to have mercy recognizing that God is justified in what he's doing, but he wants God to have mercy on them and to bring them back into the land. God had promised to bring them back after 70 years, but I think Daniel recognized that if they continued to forsake God, that, yes, he would bring at least a part of them back, but how many would he bring back? And he was wanting God's Mercy here. So I'll continue here, verse 10 Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore, the curse is poured upon us, and the oath is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him, and we have confirmed his words, which he spake against us, and against our judges that judged us, by bringing upon us a great evil. And for under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works, which he doeth. For we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that hath brought us brought forth thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has gotten thee renown. as at this day we have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore... O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name, for we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O oh my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. It's interesting, Daniel's plea here to the Lord, that not only was he asking for mercy, but he was saying, Lord, you, your people have become a reproach. It's, it's not your fault, it's their fault. But they've become a reproach, and it's tarnishing your name. Bring us back to your city and to your... To your land, so that that reproach can end. It's similar. Moses would make the plea, and other prophets would make similar pleas to the Lord that he would do righteous, he would do good towards Israel for his own name's sake. And sometimes God does that, but also for his righteousness, sometimes he has to bring judgment. So, what does this chapter have to do with the Messiah? And we will see here in the following few verses as we end the chapter. Verse 20, And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I have seen in the vision of at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation, And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. so God sends an angel to Daniel to give him a message. We know that Daniel had a close relationship with God. There were times when God would reveal dreams to him, would give him visions. Um, but this time God chose to speak. Through an angel, which is interesting because the same angel Gabriel also appeared to Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus. But here he comes to Daniel. When Daniel is desiring that God would restore Jerusalem to its original glory, that he would restore the worship of God in the temple, God sends an angel, and I don't think the message is quite what Daniel. Was expecting, and we'll read it here in verse 23. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The streets shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. So not only does God say to Daniel through the angel Gabriel that yes he's going to restore Jerusalem, he's going to restore the temple but then he goes even further and prophesies of the coming Messiah. I'm sure Daniel was not expecting that or even hoping for that. So why would God include that message to Daniel when that really wasn't what Daniel was asking for. I think it speaks of God's wanting to show his power and his grace to to Daniel, to the Jewish people, that not only was God going to restore the Jews back to their land, but he was also letting Daniel know that the clock was, you could say the clock was ticking. There was a timetable that God had set set here that when the Jews returned to Jerusalem, that would start the point of the clock ticking to when Jesus would come. And so there was not only going to be redemption and reconciliation for the Jewish people, but there also was for all the rest of the world through the Messiah. And he would promise that, that it wasn't just for the Jewish people. Why did God reveal the the time to Daniel for when the Messiah was coming? Did Daniel completely understand? I don't think he did. If we look at it here, it says that um, if you add it up together, that the Messiah was going to be revealed in 69 weeks. Daniel most likely didn't understand how that, what that meant. We understand 69 weeks is just a little over a year. But looking back, when the Messiah did come, if you took each week, times it by seven for each day, and if each day became a year, 483 years after the Jews returned to Jerusalem from their Babylonian captivity you end up at the, somewhere around the year A.D. 28 or A.D. 29. And this would have been during the time when Jesus was here on earth. So yet, God gave some indication of when Jesus was coming, but he didn't completely explain it. Why would he do that? And I think is the key is that if he had given the exact year of when the Messiah was coming, then you would have had many, many different claims To that messiahship. Many families would have claimed that their child was the messiah. So God kept it partly hidden. But yet once Jesus came. It became quite clear. Now going on to uh, verses 26 and 27. And after three score and two weeks. Shall the messiah be cut off. But not for himself. So what's this talking about here? First, he promises the coming Messiah and that it's going to be a great thing that he comes to to bring redemption to Israel. But then in verse 26, he says that the Messiah will be cut off. And so he's also prophesying and telling Daniel a little picture of how Jesus was going to bring redemption to the earth. It wasn't just going to end with his coming to earth. Him being a baby, a child, and then an adult. But it would come through his death. And so he explains his plan further. But why would he die? Would it be for his own sake? For God's sake? No, it would be for the sake of the people. And God would reveal through other Old Testament prophecies, especially in Isaiah. If you looked at all the prophecies together, you get a good picture of what Jesus was going to come and do. And yet, God kept it somewhat hidden from the Jewish people that until it was revealed, they were not completely able to grasp it. And even the disciples walking on earth with Jesus didn't completely understand it until after he had died and rose again. But we know that at least two people that we see in Luke chapter 2, Simeon and Anna were looking expectantly for the coming Christ. And we'll look at Simeon later here. But what should we take away from that? What should we learn from that? And that is that we should be also looking forward expectantly for the rapture of the church so that we're not surprised as many of the Jews were surprised when Jesus came. Simeon and Anna were not surprised they were looking, they were expectant that God was going to fulfill his promise that he had made to Daniel, to Isaiah, and to others. What does the verse, end of verse 26 and verse 27 mean? And this, there are many different interpretations. I'm going to give you what I feel is most likely. You don't agree with me? That is fine. I'm. I believe there's grace for that, and we can still be a brothers and sisters. But it says that, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. I believe that's speaking of Jerusalem and the temple. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and under the end of the war, desolations. Are determined. What is it speaking about? We know that after Jesus ascended to heaven, like thirty to forty years later, Roman armies came, besieged, and burned Jerusalem. They burned and destroyed the temple. Is that what it's talking about? It's possible, but also, um, if you want to turn with me, I'm going to read it quickly to keep time moving. Revelations twelve speaks of something that sounds very similar. And this is speaking of the Antichrist in a future event. Revelations twelve, fifteen to seventeen, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as of a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, to keep the commandment, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so I believe that some of those things already took place in verse 26, but some of those things are yet to come. It may be a coincidence, but it, to me it sounds like the same event. And then moving on to verse 27, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Who is the he? I don't believe it's the Messiah, but rather the antichrist. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate. He shall make unto the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. It seems like a depressing end to a prophecy about the Messiah. But as we look, continue to look in future messages in other chapters in Daniel, we'll see that there's also hope. But God was making Daniel aware of what lay ahead. There were good things in the prophecy, there were sad things in the prophecy. One of the, you know, the, the the good things was the Jews were going to be restored to their land. Their temple was going to be rebuilt. And then later on, the hundreds of years later, the Messiah would come. But also there were there were difficult things coming and lying ahead. But yet the very fact that God was prophesying these things tells us that he's also in control of all those things and so that we can have hope among even the the depressing things that he was prophesying. So what is verse 27 talking about? I want to look at that just a little bit more here. For most premillennials, we believe this to be a future event and it's the explanation that makes the most sense. So what does it mean in verse 27? Um, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 to 4, you can just jot the reference down and look it up later. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, and the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, and I believe this is a future event also of verse 27. Once again, is it a coincidence? I don't believe so. I believe it is speaking of the same event. Prophecy in the Old Testament and also a prophecy in the New Testament. So why would God put all this in his message through the angel Gabriel why didn't he do it through other means that he did with some of the other prophets? And I believe it's because it was surrounding the event of Jesus' coming. And it seemed like often it was done through the angel Gabriel. Why did he tell Daniel hundreds, four 480 years before the event? I think he put it in there so that when Jesus came, people could look back and recognize that it was through the hand of God. Later on, when we look at Daniel eleven and twelve, we will see that even though there's sadness in some of these things that are prophesied here, God will have the final victory. Now, turning to that prophecy, what it pointed to of Christ's coming, to close out the message this morning. We know the story well of the Luke chapter two verses one to twenty. So I won't read that. But turn with me to Luke chapter two. And let's pick up at verse 21. So Jesus was born. The shepherds came and visited him. And now we pick up the story eight days later. Verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished of the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus which was so called of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, for thou hast prepared before the face of all people a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and Mary marveled at these things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And I'm going to stop there. I just want to contrast the interesting thing of when God revealed to Daniel of the coming Messiah. Daniel knew something. Daniel was, It was revealed to Daniel something that no one else knew at that time. Daniel was faithful in writing it down. It became a part of God's word. Then we see here another faithful man, four hundred and eighty three years or four hundred and eighty years later, Simeon, who is now seeing that prophecy come to pass. And he in his own words would then prophesy of what lay ahead, that it would they would they would bring a sword Just as Daniel had said that the Messiah would be killed, Simeon also prophesied that this would happen. But he also said that this child would be a light to the Gentiles. He would bring truth and redemption to not only the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And I'm so thankful for that this morning. That when Jesus came, he didn't just come for his own people, but he came for the whole world. Simeon wanted to see the redemption of Israel, I believe, in a spiritual way. Daniel wanted to see it more in a physical way, but also a spiritual way. And just as God sent the Jews into captivity to try and draw them back to himself, God sent Jesus to... come and to draw us back to himself and to provide a way. Many this Christmas have lost the significance of it. They don't recognize the true meaning of it. But I hope that's not true for us here today. I hope we are just as Simeon looking for Jesus, looking for to have a relationship with him. Let's bow our head for a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for each one that's here. Lord, we do pray for those that are sick. Pray for healing. And Father, we just pray that you would help each one of us this season to be drawn back to you with our whole hearts. To live faithfully for you. And to have a love for those around us as we You have loved us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.